It may be hard for a good man to be king, but he would rather be a good man than a great king. What's up, Story Geeks? On today's podcast, Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast joins us for a fifth time to round out the trilogy of the big three Avengers, and we're talking about Thor's character journey. So she's joining me, Daryl, and of course, Jay, and we're going to dig deeper into Thor. This is the third episode in our special MCU series leading up to Avengers Endgame. Hope you've been enjoying that. Next week, we're going to have a nerd fight to determine the best MCU film, and then we're going to dig deeper into Captain Marvel. So lots of great stuff coming up. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it. And to hear more of our thoughts about Thor, like our blogs from Ashley and Anthony, or to share your thoughts with us, head over to thestorygeeks.com. While you're there, please consider becoming a supporter because if you support us on Patreon, you'll get access to all of our premium content, including aftercasts and audiobooks. On today's aftercast, we're digging deeper into even more characters that we haven't already talked about. So become a premium supporter today and unlock all of that. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into Thor. So here we are to round out the big three of the Avengers. And Helen is still with us. Helen, thanks for doing this third one with us yet Pleasure. again. Pleasure. Thank you. And this is a big deal because today marks your official obtaining of your five-timers jacket. Amazing. Wow. We, we need yeah. fanfare. Yeah. That's, There's all kinds <laughs> of fanfare. That largely is an imaginary jacket, but still, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great because it, it fits even better. It's my favorite color, you know. Exactly. Yeah, really exactly. flattering, guys. Well done. Wow, amazing ah, well, tailoring. Good, good. Yeah. Glad you like it. And yeah. the sequence, gonna, what gonna, a great touch. <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't do sequence for everybody. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, that's, that's a special thing for the Empire Geek Queen. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about Thor. Um, as usual, we'll just talk about where he fits in and our favorites. Mm-hmm. So, Helen, where's Thor on your list of MCU characters? Um, Thor is pretty high up for me. Now, I don't have an official ranking. Um, obviously, he's not number one. We all know that. It's Captain America. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's he's pretty high up just because I think he, he started off charming and he has gotten to be one of the funniest of the lot, despite having lost an astonishing amount uh, more than any other avenger i think yeah um i mean i guess you can make a call with steve having lost literally everything an entire era but i think thor is up there having lost a civilization as well as his entire family so um yeah well, thor had to watch it all and thor had to watch it all it. happen yeah exactly steve just went to sleep yeah so, <laughs> so you're right thor's lost more um uh, maybe again you could argue with some of the guardians i guess groups lost sure. his home and stuff like that as well but he's lost a lot. He has still been really, really funny. Um, you know, he is a, a, a god, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, and I just love what they've done with him. I love that they have, you know, leaned into Chris Hemsworth's strengths um, in sort of his characterization and, and given him more room to kind of play with the character and, and made him a better character as a, as a result. So I think he works really, really well now. Cool. What do you think, Jay? Uh, so... Chris Hemsworth does an amazing job with Thor. I can't even imagine another actor taking over that role. I mean, like yeah. he's perfect for it. Um, I think that Taika Waititi brought uh, took an excellent angle on that character. Mm. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about that, but I think that was an excellent angle to take with that. Um, I think it's super badass when he goes full lightning and he gets the lightning eyes and like that. <laughs> That's I mean, you, it's it's hard not to not to kind of 
get a, a thrill every time that happens. You know, it's like, oh yeah, Thor's going full God mode. Yeah. Like it's it's cool. Mm. But I will say this, and I, I'm not sure exactly why this is, but he does not show up at the top of my list like Iron Man and Cap did. Um, mm. He's probably middle list or even like middle towards the bottom. Um, and I've been trying to psychoanalyze why that is for me. <laughs> and I think we'll maybe uncover some of that as we go through this character journey. But um, it's almost like everything is set up perfectly. But I still don't respond to that character in the same way that I respond to the other characters. Yeah. He's pretty low on my list, too. And I think I was able to boil it down to the fact that I have a hard time relating to him. Mm. I don't have the burden of abs and biceps and, <laughs> and uh, being the heir to a throne. <laughs> you know, like, he just, not that those aren't good story points, mm. but it's just not something that I can relate to as strongly as. I don't like bullies mm. or yeah. I want to grow beyond what my father was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those things just hit home so much more for me. Mm. But I don't know if that's really his, I mean, that's his situation, I think rather than his character in some ways, like it's, um, I feel like the, the relatable bit for me, not that I'm necessarily, you know, in the same situation, but is the idea of trying to be worthy and trying to be, you know, trying to overcome your own dark nature. I, again, like Tony, I think there's actually a weird, some weird correlations between him and Tony. They're the two with the father issues. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the two uh, rich boys and very privileged kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're the two with the weak middle film and the really, really good third film. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's an odd kind of parallel uh, there. But I do think that Thor in some ways is, I think you're right in that he's less well-developed as a character. I think he's more somebody that, because he looks the way he does, um, I think it's it's harder to see him as being vulnerable in the same ways that, that we see the others being vulnerable. Because mm. um, even when he's down and and really upset, and I think you know, he, you know Chris Hemsworth gives a very good performance of that at times, especially in Infinity War when he's talking to Rocket, um, it's still a little hard to believe that this guy is ultimately as vulnerable as, as to, as as a Tony or a Steve. Even though I would hundred percent say that he is really when you get right down to it. Yeah. But yeah. I guess, I, so I guess I'm agreeing with you when I said I wasn't. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know. One thing that I would I would bring up is like my perspective mm. on Thor would be very closely associated with Peter Quill's upon meeting him. In other words, it's like who does this guy <laughs> think he is, right? Like. <laughs> Like, it, you know, there's something about, um, and, and obviously we'll, we'll jump into this a little mm. bit more, but there's something about the frat guy nature of Thor mm. that I think is just makes it very difficult. So I would say, like, uh, I'm not going to pretend that I don't have privilege in my life. Absolutely. Mm. But I see that privilege a lot more in the same way that I would see the way Iron Man sees his. It's kind of like, oh, I, I can... Um, I can try and use some of it where possible. I can try to benefit other people with it where possible. Yeah. Whereas I, I think Thor's battle is a lot more internal a lot of times, mm-hmm. and so I just, I just sort of see him as a frat guy. And, and and no matter what they try and do with him, I still see him <laughs> as a frat guy. Yeah. And it's hard for me to kind of empathize with him but in he, that regard. He feels like the very well-meaning frat guy, like the the frat guy who totally. at first at first you're like, oh my god, get away from me, you're you're ridiculous you know look at you it's it shouldn't be allowed and then when you get to know him you're like oh you're funny and you're smart and he very much takes people on their own terms you know he's very very easygoing which again i think kind of comes from hemsworth a little bit but you know he very much um 
respects others, kind of invites others in, you know, even that little sting at the end of the latest trailer with him and Captain Marvel, I think is really typical of him. You know, there's that yes, moment of sizing people yes. up and then he's like, I like you, let's be friends. There's there's a little bit of Doug the dog from Up <laughs> in him. You know, I have just met you and I love you. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And, and I kind of, I like that openness about him, basically. I think it's it's really, really charming. And, and, and by the way, I do love the fact that like Peter has that reaction to him because he's mm. seeing him as like a competitor, whereas yeah. the rest of the people are like, "No, this is cool. We got this guy on our <laughs> side. That's awesome." You know? Yeah, very good um, point. Yeah, so I think it's just, it just depends on how if you're. I think it depends on your life experience and if you mm. are able to have empathy for those type. I mean, it's really easy to have empathy for Cap because yeah. we've all seen either we've been bullied or we've seen other people bullied. And so it's immediately like, oh, that character is so relatable. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that we've all had the same experiences that Thor has had, which makes it you either have to see empathy for him or you have to say, I'm like him. But it's yeah. a little bit more challenging, maybe. Yeah. But they've done, I have to say, they've done a very good job of maintaining sort of his Asgardian-ness. Mm. Yes. You know, absolutely. and making him not human. Yes. Yeah. And even just some of the little one-off funny lines he says, like the one that comes to mind right now is in Infinity War when uh -huh. he refers to the Avengers as Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yeah. And Mantis says, like, Kevin Bacon? Yeah. And he's like, he may be on the team. I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I, and, and, and let me say this, too. When I say this about where I'm putting him mm. in my ranking, it is 100% subjective. Because mm. everything, every objective reason I would have for saying whether or not he's a good character, he's a phenomenal character. Yeah. So I'm just putting my subjectivity on top of it for sure. Totally. Yeah. Well, let's unpack it movie by movie. Sure. Let's dive in. Start with the first Thor movie. Jay, why don't you start us on this? Where do you see the themes for Thor in his first movie? Yeah, and we've already touched on this, right? Like mm -hmm. privilege and pride right. are like the two big things. Like he's a dude who hasn't really earned anything but feels he's owed everything. He feels like he should have the throne. Why should he have the throne? Because his dad has the throne. He's going to pass it down to him, right? Like, um, I think his journey involves breaking down the first layer of privilege, which is him realizing that he doesn't necessarily deserve it based on his merits, right? Which is all about the worthiness, right? You're not worthy, so I'm going to send you to Earth till you learn that you're worthy enough. Um, and so for me, that's what his journey is all about, is not seeing the world through his own lens of, I deserve this thing, but rather... What are the other people around me and, and how do I have to give up of some of what I want to benefit mm. them? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think he's not he's never been a malicious character, but he has absolutely been a thoughtless character. And mm. and that kind of puppyish, boyish, well, I'm having fun, so everybody else must be having fun too, kind of a mm. a feeling in that first film is you know, in the real world, let's be honest, it, it leads to a lot of pain and suffering for other people because they're not thinking about their their effect on the world. Um, yeah. And in this, you know, in this, he basically single-handedly decides to invade another country, um, you know, with yeah, right. with good totally. intentions, I guess. <laughs> but but just it's this sort of surfeit of energy and uh, self-confidence to the level of arrogance, and just that sense of, as you say, entitlement um, that he he needs to seriously get over. And and to do that, what he really needed to do was essentially what he does, which is be stripped of his powers, be stripped of his specialness, be stripped of everything that has given him this privilege, sent to essentially a backwater world, and then mm. learns to see those people as his equals, particularly in, in the case of Jane, but also I think to a lesser extent in the case of Selvig and 
mm. and the rest. Um, so it's that it's that gradual sort of stripping everything away to make him see that he's basically the same as everyone else. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's good. So how do we see him then when we get to the Avengers? What do you think, Helen? <laughs> well, there it's kind of, uh, I like that it starts off, I think uh, Joss Whedon described it as like a custody battle for Loki. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like different jurisdictions, the FBI and the, and the local police both arguing about whose case it is. Um, so I, I think that's a really clever way to introduce him because it means that he's he's fighting for to take this guy away but not actually coming from a different place ultimately than everyone else so he then begins to see his kind of common cause with them um so i love i love his introduction in it i love that he then accepts however reluctantly the wisdom of of working with his team i think partly out of curiosity possibly partly mm. out of a desire to stick around earth a bit longer and see if he can reconnect with darcy um but it it it's it's a little bit of uh yeah, so it's giving people room again, I guess, to uh, to get to know them and to to wait and hear what their point of view is. And then, of course, you know, he gets to fight a war. So that's his reward for being a nice guy in his head. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think that's right on. I think so. The, the two words I had instead of privilege and pride, I think it's actually pride and, and power. Prejudice? Oh. No, 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 sorry. That's that's the that's right. That's a different thing. No, gotcha. Um, no, uh, pride and power because because he's subju- he's basically um, saying I'm pretty sure I'm the most powerful one in this group, but I'll go ahead and be a part of your team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he he kind of doesn't have to do that, but it, it requires a level of humility for him to do that. Um, but yeah, I think everything else that Helen hit on is mm-hmm. is perfect. I mean, this is this is about a team coming together. Um, and Thor is, a, Thor is the most powerful part of that team at this point in time. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, they've talked about Cap- Captain Marvel being the most powerful mm. one. But uh, up until this point, it's been Thor. And like when Thor, well, we'll get there. But when Thor shows up on a battlefield, everyone's like, finally, you know, like, <laughs> he's here. Yeah. So um, yeah, this one is just of, his first foray into that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I love that they have that little, those little moments with the Hulk where you, you kind of sense he wants to know. Thor wants to know how strong this guy really is. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> totally. so those couple of the, the fight that they have aboard the helicarrier and then, you know, the sucker punch in Grand Central Station, I think those are lovely little moments for them. Yeah, I I think one of my favorite things about him in the Avengers, and actually this is an, an, another, gosh, I can't talk, <laughs> another testament to Joss Whedon. We talked a yeah. lot about Joss Whedon's ability to handle an ensemble in our Iron Man episode. Um, and I think we see it here too because... Thor is not part of these heroes that are already out there that they're seeking to put on this team. Mm. Mm. He comes onto the team circumstantially, and to have Loki be the villain, which drags Thor into it, I thought was a stroke of genius. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And really helped it make sense why would Thor spend his time with somebody who's not as guardian? Right. Very right. good point. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, he almost has to he almost has to be he he doesn't even show up thinking he's going to join the team. Mm. Right. He shows up and is like, "Well, should I join this team?" <laughs> like, you know, and then it's, so it's a, kind of a different take there. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the much maligned Thor: <laughs> The Dark World. <laughs> I don't um, hate it. Yeah. I don't hate it either. I watched it again last night. You know what I think I don't like? I don't mm-hmm. like the fact that Earth is included in it. I mm. think if you were to have taken Earth out of it, mm. it would have been much more interesting. Yeah, there's a bit of toing and froing to Asgard that kind of is, it feels like it, you know, it can't make up its mind where to be set. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, isn't it coincidental that the whole galactic alignment is on the Greenwich Mean Time line? Like, that's weird. <laughs> um, how much did those astronomers know when they were setting that up? But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I like this one. I think there's actually a lot of substance in it. I just don't think it all comes together as well as we would like. I think it's another MCU movie that's kind of trying to do a bit of heavy lifting, you know, introducing all the Infinity Stones again. Mm-hmm. Um, there are... Uh, you know, you have Loki kind of going through the same beats. And I think that's something that Taika really realized and, and with Ragnarok and sort of undermined because it was getting boring. But, you know, right. how many times can he betray you before you start taking it seriously and stop trusting him? Mm. Um, and there's a little bit of that in this film. It's like, seriously, guys. But at the same time, there's also some actual nice moments between them. And there is a sense of connection between them, which is which is good. Um and, and there's some g- great writing in this one too. Yeah. Some great dialogue. Like great Loki dialogue. saying, uh, satisfaction is not in my nature mm-hmm. and trust my rage. And yeah. just some of these really, really good lines that really, just kind yeah. of go forgotten about because yeah. the movie is not on par with the rest. Yeah. And the little moments he has with Jane this time are quite nicely done. There is there aren't maybe enough of them, but I think they're they're not badly done, you know, the sort of um I think you kind of see it through her trying to be on a date with someone normal after dating Thor, which is not natural. Um, but, you know, you, you get their relationship in these little tiny beats, even him turning up on Earth because he sees she's in trouble, having been busy with other things and allowed himself to be busy with other things in the meantime. Yeah. But as soon as, you know, he's clearly got an alert set up with Heimdall and as soon as she's in trouble, he turns up. And I think that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the... the uh... The irritating thing about Thor is that, as opposed to, we've talked about these two other characters uh, who have had these sweeping character arcs where they're going through, actually, sometimes multiple arcs. Mm. It's like Thor finds himself at the beginning again with the same arc <laughs> almost every single time. And so you're drawing nuances out, it feels mm. like, as, a po- as opposed to completely sweeping arcs. And so for me, I, I look at this film and I go, well, yeah, I mean, almost every single film is about Thor overcoming some form of pride or arrogance. And in this case, I think he realizes, and you guys can check me if I'm wrong on this, because I have not seen this in a while, but I feel like in this movie, he he knows he's brave. He's always been brave. He, he excels at being brave, but he's also kind of dumb. <laughs> and it's, al- it's almost like he has to realize that I'm not ready for the throne in the end and I'm going to say no to the throne because I don't have enough experience or enough intelligence right now mm. to take it on. Well, and it's also it's not just intelligence, but yeah. it's also this little bit of a little bit of cool connective tissue to Black Panther too yeah. because he says I would rather be a good man yes. than a great king. Totally. Yeah. And then and, in Black and, Panther, you see yeah. T'Chaka saying it's hard for a good man to be to king. Be king. Totally. Yeah. I think it's I think it's not necessarily intelligence so much as wisdom. Um, is the only thing I'd say. Oh, to that's that. a good. Yeah, that's a good you clarification. Know? Yeah, um, he has the raw brain power for the most part, but he doesn't necessarily have the the patience and the experience and the uh, the knowledge, certainly the studying to to turn it into wisdom. Yeah, and the, and the bravado gets in the way. Like yeah, he, very much. He so. would rather be seen as the god as opposed to being seen as the more intelligent. Like we yeah. should take a second to think about this guy. It's like no, I'm going to go lightning on everybody. You know, like that's kind of yeah. So I kind of mm. feel like, and and I kind of feel like because of that because of not diving super deep into his psyche that's what makes some of these films feel a little bit less relevant 
to the entire to all of the inflection points because we're not seeing we're, we're we're using Thor as uh, we're using Thor and really until maybe Ragnarok and Infinity War we're using him as the giant god that we'll bring in when we need to help us do something so his character arc doesn't need to be as intense well and until we had Guardians Thor was our only connection to the cosmic side mm. of the Marvel universe great point yeah yeah great point. Yeah, and it's a very different corner of the cosmos. You know, if if Guardians is the underworld, uh, this is the aristocracy, quite literally. Right. So uh, it's yes. a very limited view there of the cosmos as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Let's move on to Age of Ultron. Helen, where do you see Thor in Age of Ultron? So he's, he's you know, after Dark World, I guess, if they reestablished that connection with Earth, he's been able to do some fighting on Earth as well as in the other eight realms, I guess. And, uh, and, and, you know, be with the team and they're working really effectively as a team. And it's also, I think, part of clearing up Loki's mess. It's a part of, you know, setting things right. Um, or so he believes. And of course it suits Loki to have him out of the way, doesn't it? So it works out well for everybody. Um, but yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot more sense of him being comfortable as part of the group here. I think, um, what does he actually do? I'm kind of struggling to remember. <laughs> well, eventually he leaves because he has to he go leaves. do. He'd go investigate the Infinity Stones. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there's this rather, yeah, this rather side plot that that kind of leaves him a little bit at a loose ends, you know. So he's not available for the fight in um, in Korea, for example. Um, yeah. He's kind of taken away. I like that he gets back, and he obviously is is instrumental in creating Vision, uh, that sort of lightning mm -hmm. bolt, that sort of Frankensteinian you know, ingredient to the mixture that is vision. Um, and, and he's great at the party at the beginning and he's great at the, uh, the big fight at the end, you know, but he is, he's kind of missing that middle bit. This is, this is what I mean about the, you sometimes in the Marvel universe, see, see the gears moving and Ultron's a film where you can kind of see the gears moving into place yeah. for other films down the line. Um, and that's always kind of a sign that they've, they've, you know, they've tried a little bit too hard to fit everything into one film. Mm. But yeah, still good. And it's when when they show us the psychedelic jacuzzi. Psychedelic jacuzzi, <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he, he's distracted, and I think it, it, what he is distracted by is a a greater threat, and and I think it shows wisdom actually to remove himself and try and deal with that greater threat, um, because it's, mm. it shows that he is thinking ahead and he has gained the ability to to try and prioritize things and not just have a brawl. So I guess it's a sign of growth, really. There it that's is. That's the, that's the drop the mic moment. Because I, I, I wouldn't I, pull that out. That's yeah, good. I literally am looking at this. And I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what he did. I don't know what's going on. But I think that's it. That's a, that's a great pickup. It's it's that's where the wisdom is starting to showcase itself. Mm -hmm. That's that's the pickup right there. Okay, well, let's go to Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. It. Jay, what do you think about Ragnarok? Well, I think that so I think that Ragnarok is a is. OK, so it's so funny because I don't. I love Ragnarok. Well, love. I like Ragnarok as a movie, <laughs> and I appreciate its comedy. And I think Taika should get more movies to do because I think mm. it's great. Um, did you I don't see know his reaction to James Gunn. Yes, I did. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> what the hell? I thought I was gonna do it. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, but um, but I don't uh, I don't love Ragnarok itself, and I'm not exactly sure why. I think because I, ex I my expectations for what Hello was gonna bring and what the story actually became about were like two different things. But um, I will say that what I really like about Ragnarok is that 
the realization that his perfect family, I use perfect in quotation marks, obviously, is actually has actually been this horrific force in the in the universe mm. in the past. And so it's this the privilege that he believes he has and is owed has come at a great price to other people. And this whole journey, he's been learning to give up pride. And so now this pride that he has, even in his family's history, is like showcased to be a false pride, um, which is really fascinating, I think, mm -hmm. for him as a character. Uh, and in order for him to move forward, he has to start to give up on his past, just like Iron Man kind of did as well, but in kind of a different, slightly different way. Um, and in order, and then the cool part is at the end of that, he goes, I'm going to reject some of the, the harsher parts of my past. I'm going to fight my sister. And then by the way, that's when he becomes King, right? Yeah. So like he's learned the wisdom he's learned to the, the respect he had for his family and him desiring the throne. Cause he thought he was entitled to it. Then he learns what they really did in the past. That's really compelling. So mm -hmm. of the, of the three movies, I think this is like probably the best as far as the way his character develops in it. Mm. That's a really good point that by sort of being disillusioned of the idea that his father deserved the throne, he becomes deserving of it himself almost. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, this is a film again where he loses a huge amount um, and, uh, and yet kind of emerges stronger for it uh, in a way, uh, which is, which is kind of good to see. Um, it's, a, it's another film where he's kind of tested another film where he's limited, his powers are stripped away and then there's the sort of uh, Dumbo-like moment where, you know, you didn't need the Mjolnir after all. Your ears would carry you without the feather. Um, <laughs> so, which is kind of a nice thing. It's almost like the training wheel program that that, uh, that uh, Tony puts on, on Spider-Man. You know, his father mm. put Mjolnir on him as a, as a kind of training <laughs> wheel, um, which is bizarre, a, a bizarre thought. Uh but yeah, I, I, I just, I mean, I love this film. I love the comedy of it. I love the humor. I love the color. I love the fact that we learn that, you know, we thought that Loki was the old one out in his family. And it kind of turns out it's Thor that isn't the drama mm. queen goth uh, that the other two <laughs> sure. are. So that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I, Jay, you mentioned him taking the throne after yeah. all of this. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense for him to do it there. And it shows a whole lot of growth for him because that's the point that we realize that Asgard is a people and not a place. Yes. And he can finally view it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when he takes the throne, he's taking it out of care for his people. Yes. Not yes. out of concern for yes. status. Yep. Brilliant. Absolutely. Um, which is really cool. One, one more point um, before you move on from Ragnarok. Because uh, I, I didn't get through it all, but I started to watch it again just in preparation for this podcast. And... Um, I have to say that I don't think any other, besides maybe Henry Cavill, I don't know if there's ever been another actor that has dedicated themselves to looking as much like the character they're going to portray <laughs> as Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> now, granted, he's very gifted in terms of what he looks like to begin with, but uh, the, I, like I was, I was watching his physicality on the screen, and I'm like human beings don't look like this like <laughs> like he looks like he stepped out of a comic book and that just shows the amount of energy um that hemsworth has put into saying <laughs> physicality is a huge part of this role and i need to get as yeah. buff as i could possibly be um kenneth Branagh told stories about him on set of the first film where basically you know they they they'd break for a moment to fix a light or you know slightly adjust the camera and he'd look around and uh, chris hemsworth would be either eating chicken 
or doing press ups or or possibly both like every single time um he just had to eat nothing but essentially protein and do insane amounts of exercise every single day for years at a time it's it's a crazy amount of work i mean that's one of the things that you know several of them have talked about in terms of the, their role in the mc their time in the mcu coming to an end is they ha- they can spend less time in the gym yeah yeah so. and if you haven't seen the video of Jack Black. Oh, it's hilarious. Doing <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't seen him do the doing the routine, he does he he imitates Chris Hemsworth's routine pretty poorly, but it's it's high with weights about a tenth of the weight. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so funny though. It's worth it's worth a watch. I think ironically, I, this is just my opinion, but I feel like all of that effort he's put into looking like Thor yeah. has mm-hmm. actually hurt him a little bit outside of the MCU. Oh, in terms mm. of other roles. At least for me, I have a hard time buying into him anywhere except for thor as a normal person yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. this dude's not real this is thor <laughs> yeah, well it certainly did hurt him i think as a computer programmer in that michael mann film the name of which right. is currently <laughs> escaping me black hat uh, black I hat think? correct yes thank you um i think it, it, it won't hurt him going forward you know things like daca which is a, a kind of an action movie um that he's doing for netflix i think that's going to be sort of okay but you're right i mean he has this huge gift for comedy and kind of just really charming very light kind of acting you know, almost Cary Grant-esque levels of mm. charm and and yeah that doesn't naturally historically fit with muscles that big so he might he might kind of go <laughs> down a size or two in the future mm. I did appreciate him in um Bad Times at the El Royale yes oh, I didn't see that but I will say that I did not that that film the setup of that film was outstanding and the, the how it plays itself out near the end uh, I didn't really like as much yeah um and he and he it wasn't his fault it was just how that story used him in a specific role yeah but he really embodied the character that he played real well yeah and that showed more range than we've maybe had had the chance to see from him before so it'll be interesting to see how he goes if indeed we say goodbye to thor anytime soon who knows then uh (laughs) then it'll be interesting to see what he does next yeah I do think this is a little random, but I do think he did a good job in the remake of Red Dawn, too. Not oh, yeah. a great film, but I felt like he played his character well. Mm. I was able to get into him in that one. I don't think I saw that film. You don't need to. No. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you, yeah. See the original Red Dawn. That's a much better movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about Infinity War. Yeah. Which is always the darkest point of our discussion. Now we have to talk about everybody that died and everybody <laughs> and, and all the pain and suffering mm. that Thor goes through. It's what do you it, think about him? It's interesting that we start off with him uh, in the film and we start off with him already defeated. Uh, we we kind of saw the setup in the sting for Ragnarok and we, we see it uh-huh. now. Um, so we start off with him already defeated, already, um, you know, his people dead around him, many of them. Um, the ship's broken in two, so we have to hope that the other half are kind of okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's he's in a bad place to begin with. And then, you know, the ship's blown up. Loki's killed, apparently, although with Loki, who knows? Um, he's left to drift in space until the Guardians find him. Um, he then goes off with, with Rocket and Groot to find the handle, find the axe, uh, find, out <laughs> find something that will stop Thanos. <laughs> Um, and then he gets, of course, one of the, one of the film's two big moments, two big, joyful, hopeful moments uh, when he turns up on the battlefield in Wakanda. Oh, it's so good. Which is it's so good. so good. It's yeah. so satisfying. Um, but even then, he can't, he can't quite do enough. He should have aimed for the head. So, it's, I mean, it's a film about 
you know, he loses more than, as, as we said, he's, he kind of loses more than maybe anybody uh, prior to the snap. And he is, he's kind of fighting against the tide from, from minute one, really. You know, he's the first to encounter Thanos, the first to be beaten by him. Um, and even coming back from that isn't enough. <clears throat> That's it's, a really interesting point that I hadn't thought about before. He yeah. didn't really lose much in the snap because he had already lost everything. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I do wonder how Thanos calculates things and how much thought right. goes into, you know, what presumably is instinctive almost when he has the Infinity Gauntlet. You know, does the population of Asgard get get halved, whatever remains of it? Or has it already been halved, so it's kind of, they're left okay? You know, in the same with all the other worlds he's visited, do they get rehalved? What happens to that? This is an <laughs> academic point, but still, it, yeah. it keeps me up at night. It's very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think you guys are, are right on. I think um, what I think is so powerful about Infinity War is that the despair that we have to be left with with our main characters is relevant to each of them separately and as a whole. Mm. Meaning that we still have the original Avengers, the team that was supposed to save us right yeah the team was supposed to save the universe and yet as we talked about with iron man and as we talked about um with cap they end this film in the worst possible places that these <laughs> characters would ever want to be yeah um cap because his team the team he leads uh has been almost eradicated um and it's and it's some of it's on his shoulders um Iron Man, for the same reasons we talked about in the Iron Man podcast, you can go back and listen to all of those. Total despair. And now you have Thor, who has what you would assume to be like a Rocky Balboa story, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get the Stormbreaker and I'm going to... He just became king. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He just became king. The population is is, um, really wiped out. Then he comes back with Stormbreaker. And it is again... And I, and I know that this is like it's almost like um, it's almost like the writers doubling down on his pride because it is his arrogance that causes him to hit him in the chest. It's his arrogance and maybe lack of wisdom, right? Editor's note: Come on, you show up with the most powerful throwing axe in the universe, infused with the power of a lightning god, and of course you aim for the center of mass of the guy you're trying to obliterate, especially if you've got no time to waste. Don't give in to Thanos' trolling. So so the despair is worse. If we feel like, hey, we did our best and our best wasn't good enough, that's one thing. But if there's an element of our weakness that caused us to lose, that's even worse because we go, oh, man, I don't really think I'm good enough. And what I think that does for Endgame is it sets it up to be they have to work as a team and have to use all of their strengths and then use and then, and then overcome all of their weaknesses together in order to, to face off against Thanos again. Hmm. Yeah. So, man, talk about despair. Seriously. Brutal. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> now we need to – we need like after every time we talk about Infinity War, we all like need to, I don't know, listen to a happy song or something. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's not going to get a whole lot easier because I have a whole lot of questions about loss. <laughs> um, let's talk about Mjolnir a little bit. Um, Mjolnir indicates that Thor is worthy, and I guess the most surface translation of that you could see is that he's worthy of the throne of Asgard. 
But I feel like there's more to that, and I don't feel like he necessarily wanted the throne of Asgard, especially not in Thor the Dark World. So my question is, what does he want to be worthy of? And then after he loses Mjolnir, how does that change? So what do you think, Helen? I guess what he wants to be... I think the thing... Well, I'm not sure if this is what he wants or what it means, but I think it's whether he's worthy of the power that he has. And it's mm. almost it's almost going back to that idea of privilege and is he... Um, you know, worthy of being kind of trusted with that level of with all the gifts that he's been given. You know, will he use them for good? Essentially, it's the, it's the kind of with great power comes great responsibility. Can you, are you going to take up the responsibility as well as the power? Um, so I kind of feel like that's what Mjolnir represents. Um, certainly in the in the first film. I mean, it you know, this whole idea that you know, as I say, that the kind of Dumbo idea that the power was inside him all along. Uh, does make you wonder if it was a if it was kind of a literal limitation on him if 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 sort of tying it to to Mjolnir's presence was some kind of limit on Thor himself and a very conscious limit on his power, um, or if it's just kind of that they just they they changed what they wanted things to mean for the storytelling. <laughs> Not that I'm sure that would happen ever, then but never, never, never. never. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's about being worthy of, of p- exercising power, whatever that may be, whether it's the kingship or whether it's simply his natural gift. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that that's right. The one nuance I might add to that would mm-hmm. be that I think Thor, th- Thor thinks that he needs to be worthy by being like almost like like he needs to be worthy by being able to be more powerful than Odin. Right? Like that's kind of his perception. Whereas Odin is trying to teach him a lesson and saying, no, 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 it's really about whether you're worthy from the population standpoint. Like, will the, would, the people, would the people vote you in as king? In other words, I'm not just going to give it to you, but would other people look around at Asgard and say, like, yeah, Thor is the best king for us. And so in order for Thor to, to, to be able to be worthy of Millenir, um, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing terribly. Um, yeah, yeah, that, also works. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's all I'll do from now on. Or you um, could just call it the handle. <laughs> That's a different yeah, thing. Different thing. Different thing. <laughs> um, the hammer. How about that? Uh, I think he has to then say, "Oh, it's not about my physical prowess and power. It's about what I do for other people and utilizing that power to help them, as opposed to just it being inherent in me." Um, and then I think that the last little bit there is when all of that's taken away, it's it's going it's going beyond that. It's 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 saying, oh, actually, all of the power that Odin even had was built off conquests and overtaking over other people, and it was just for a tribe. And I need to be beyond that tribe even. And so mm-hmm. it's like the breaking down of his understanding of what worthiness means. And it's yeah. not my own worthiness, nor is it my tribe's worthiness, but literally the rest of the universe's worthiness, mm-hmm. um, I think is kind of where he's going on that journey. That makes sense. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to turn us in a different direction. If I had to actually take the time to rank all of the MCU characters, which sounds like an impossibly monumental task that uh-huh. I will never undertake. Towards way down the bottom of the list for me is going to be Jane Foster. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just curious, why do you think Thor connects so strongly with her? Mm-hmm. And why do you think he would choose her over Lady Sif, who <laughs> clearly wants his companionship as well? So mm. what do you think, Jay? Well, first of all, I really like Lady Sif, so I'm kind of like, 
yeah, why would you choose someone yeah. else? Like, just she's go, awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, but I think his reasoning is actually sound. And I think, uh, I think Lady Sif ultimately cares about Thor because of Thor's privilege. She respects him for his power, essentially, right? I think Jane Foster really? cares about Thor because he she sees what he could be and sees him reject the sees him reject to a certain extent the privilege because I don't think Jane cares about the privilege. Jane doesn't care about the privilege at all. It doesn't seem like. Um, so I think if you were to take a character and break them down by their needs and wants, uh, what Thor wants is perfect for him being with Lady Sif. What Thor needs is perfect for him being with Jane Foster. And I think that's where they kind of match up a little bit better. Hmm. I think I think it's... I think with Jane, it's... um, I mean, first of all, there's, there's sort of... They're both, like, insanely good-looking people. Like, even by the standards <laughs> of these films, they're, like, insanely beautiful. But I think it's also uh, that, that sense of meeting something new and meeting something that you've never tackled before and what that brings out in your personality as well because i think that she spent her whole life looking for looking outwards to space and now there's this spaceman in front of her you know um and what can she learn from him and she's fascinated with with that background and with everything he he brings from there and equally he's spent his entire life surrounded by privilege and and as we say all this aristocracy and so on and and she is this person he would never normally have met, and yet he he discovers this incredible mind and this incredible sense of you know st- strength of character and and intelligence in her, and and also she looks like Natalie Portman, and um and so the you know that that attraction makes total sense to me. I think the the thing with Lady <clears throat> Sif is actually uh, it's simply that they're too similar. I think that can be a turn off as well as a turn on, and I think I think that's basically the. The, the big issue for them there to be mm, honest that's good yeah that makes sense i think i totally disagree with you jay i sort yeah. of i see it as um i don't think lady sif admires him for his standing and his privilege oh i think she sees through that mm. and sees who he really is in uh, spite of all those i things. actually agree with that as well i think yeah i mean she she likes him as a friend and everything but i don't think she's i don't think she's after the throne or anything like that yeah so I don't know if I put if I put like my rom com glasses on yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. look at this, Lady Sif is sort of the best friend who's been there all the time. Yeah, who yeah. you finally should notice. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But they, but he doesn't. I know it goes anti rom com. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree with what you're both saying in terms of. I think, maybe the I think Helen put it better than I did, and I and I'm convinced now that you guys are right. Um, <laughs> that it's not so much about her. I think it's just it's it's maybe more of the Asgardian way, right? Like this is you would if as the most powerful king you would choose an equally powerful queen if you would. Mm. But mm. yeah, I like what you guys I like what you guys said there. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some of Thor's relationships. He has a lot of people that he cares about that have a big impact on his life and he has to lose almost all of them <laughs> throughout his character journey. So I want to kind of go through a few of them here, talk about what the relationship means to him, what their impact on him is, and then ultimately what the loss of this person does to him. Mm. So um, Helen, why don't we start with you and let's start with Odin. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is the guy he's been taught to live up to his entire life and taught to um, emulate and taught to try and match up to. And ultimately I think who he should surpass, because I think he's a nicer person. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy for anyone, whatever their age and how how many millennia they've they've lived. I think to to lose a father, so uh, I think it's a seismic shock, and I think it's something that he hasn't necessarily had time to deal with the whole the whole length of Ragnarok, um, which only takes place over what days or weeks. I think is the implication. Yeah. Um, so even when we get to that scene in Infinity War is almost the first time he's had a chance to sit down and think that we're aware of. And, and that scene is where he is, you know, um, dealing with it and, and, and showing real grief, I think. So, yeah, it's, I think it's pretty devastating, actually. Yeah, I would agree. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Odin for Thor is basically like the mentor who did it wrong. <laughs> that wants to see their mentee do it better, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't reveal all of that to Thor, which I think is a mistake on his part. Yeah. Um, well, before he, he does tell him, oh, I guess it's in a vision, but he yeah. tells him, you're stronger than me. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and, and I think uh, when I say that, I mean primarily that we don't learn that until we learn. He learns the negative parts almost before, right? right? right like, right. And then and then, he, then it's revealed, kind of like. So, um but I think I think Thor does he respects him. Um, I think that he sees him in the incorrect light to begin with, and the more we learn about Odin, the more we actually see what Thor needs to learn himself. Mm-hmm. Because I think Thor sees Odin as the standard to which he needs to be better than, so that he can be king. Then he learns that oh no, it's not really about that. And then oh wow, that standard's actually a lot lower than I thought based on what he did in the past. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a good reflection point for Thor to compare himself and realize that it's not about that. It's not yeah. about taking over for Odin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun thinking through these because I feel like I found a big part of Thor's personality in each one of these characters. Oh, okay. So it was really fun for me to go through it. So with Odin, I think Odin was Thor's confidence and his strength. Mm. Right. Um, which is is shown to us better than any other moment in the way that after Thor loses Mjolnir, mm-hmm. each time until he gets Stormbreaker that he activates his thunder powers, mm-hmm. he has a vision of Odin before those powers come in. Ah. So if you go back and watch Ragnarok, the two major points that he brings in the thunder, once is against Hulk and then again when he's on the Rainbow Bridge, oh. um, he has a vision of Odin before those powers kick in. Oh. So it's almost like that strength comes from odin and it never came from the hammer yeah so like you said helen it's not it's the ears not the feathers (laughs) (laughs) um okay let's talk about frigga helen why don't you start Mm. us on frigga well i think i mean right i mean another disney character loses his mother there's a there's a shot um (laughs) I, i think i think mothers in cinema tend to represent just safety um and comfort and uh but yeah mostly an emotional safety net and i think Therefore, that losing Frigga, you know, it's it's something. It's the only thing I think in that film that would bring Odin, Thor, and Loki together. So I think you know, story-wise, that's sort of why it happens. But it's also uh, it's also you know devastating for all three of them. I think it's the the emotional linchpin of the family. She's the only one that um, we maybe ha- we've seen each of them have one-on-ones with her. I think before she goes over the last film and a half. So and I think, I think she's kind of the cement binding them together. So so it's weird because she's the cement binding them together, but her loss is the one thing that brings them all together at once, for once. 
and really is the right. only time really <laughs> yeah it's tough yeah it's a really tough scene actually that yeah. funeral I feel super bad because when I saw this name on here, I'm like, "Who in the world <laughs> is Frigga?" And I, and I hadn't I hadn't watched this film in a really long. Well, time. after the Dark World, they just don't talk about her at exactly. all. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't even yeah. like have a which is which is actually kind of weird because what you would assume based on her character in Thor, when I went back and like researched mm-hmm. her a little bit more, is that she is constantly trying to teach him how he's supposed to end up and how, what he's supposed to be like from the very beginning, and yet they never touch on it again. Yeah. Well, she's sort of mentioned. Weird. She's mentioned, isn't she, in the in the talk with Rocket? I think he mentions his mother as well. That's as right. Father. Yes. So, oh, but that's, that's a great. But you're point, right. Yeah. That is that is the only time I think you're right. And I think the other thing is, you get hints of how close she is to Loki as well, and how influential yeah. she's yeah. been on him, because it's almost like he has modeled his powers on hers. She is the one that has taught him his illusions and his sort of they call it witchcraft i think a couple of times and and that comes from her not from odin so uh so yeah they were really close as well and again you kind of want you do get to see his devastation in the scene where he completely wrecks his prison cell um but you don't get that outward show from the other two right that's a great point i think frigga is thor's heart Mm. Hmm. just like she's the heart of the family like you said helen she's the one that really brings them all together but i think it's her care for people and her concern for others that sort of tempers what Odin gives to Thor, the strength and the courage and stuff like that. And I think it's what ultimately brings him to a point where he wants to be a good man instead Mm -hmm. of a great king. Yeah. And I also think that losing her is what maybe makes him realize for the first time that he's vulnerable. Yeah. And his world can be harmed. Can be can be changed forever. It's also, of course, just on a purely storytelling level, what makes it possible for Loki to pull off the Odin thing for more than about a second. Right. Because mm. um, that would not last if Riga were still around. Totally. Okay, let's talk about Heimdall. Jay, why don't you start us off on Heimdall? Well, we had kind of been joking about this before the podcast started. <laughs> Um, and I had said, I feel like, I don't know that there's a whole lot going on with Heimdall. He doesn't develop as a character a whole lot, but he is kind of like Yoda for Thor. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of what I would say is like, you know, there's this, there's Thor who is a lot of times just focused on power and how badass can I be? And he needs to have somebody who's there saying like, well, think about things too. So Mm. his mother was that a little bit for him, but I think Heimdall is that again, somebody to say like, you know, you should be a little bit more strategic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just show up with lightning and expect to win the day. Yeah. 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 I do. I do like that. He, he evolves at least into a sort of freedom fighter. You know, mm, he goes yeah. from being the absolutely trusted kind of iron willed guy who's in charge of, you know, the entire transportation net that, that binds the nine realms together. The guy who is kind of all knowing actually, if not all powerful, yeah. um, and then turns into this sort of, you know, um, rebel leader which is which is kind of cool so he he can adapt definitely um i <laughs> chris uh on the emperor podcast made a lot of jokes about you know the the final sigh of breath leaving his body when he's when he's stabbed at the beginning of infinity war is the sigh of relief of idris elba being freed from <laughs> the contact lenses because he, he didn't you, you know he didn't have a lot to do i just think he did a lot with with the moments that he had yeah can you imagine Idris Elba? You mean I gotta stay in this room the whole time? Can I be a freedom fighter or something? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I think my answer to your whole Yoda thing was I feel like Heimdall is Thor's wisdom. Yeah. Mm. Which is part of what makes sense is why he doesn't change a whole lot is because 
He's that rock for Thor. He's the one that's always telling him to look around you, look at your circumstances, yeah. look beyond what you're dealing with. He's like, I can see all the realms. I can see all the people. And um, I find it interesting that specifically losing Heimdall is what causes Thor to tell Thanos, you'll die for that. Yeah. Mm. So after losing so much already, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Mm. But yeah, I love Idris Elba as Heimdall. He's probably, he's definitely in my top 10 MCU mm. characters, even though he doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> I just think he's awesome. I think he's cool. He probably wouldn't show up in my top ten. I just, but I will say that I, anytime it ever comes up that there should be a new actor in a geek role, I'm like instantly like Idris, <laughs> Idris Elba. Elba. Batman <laughs> every time. Idris Elba. Yeah. James Bond. Idris Elba. <laughs> it doesn't matter what <laughs> yeah. it is. Just put Idris Elba in that role, yep. please. Yeah, he'd make a great Lara Croft. <laughs> <laughs> he could be Larry Croft. There you go. Yeah. Um, how about the Warriors three? Ah. Uh, yeah, I think they. I think you know a lot of Ragnarok is really a comment on, you know, the bits of the Thor universe that maybe hadn't worked or hadn't been properly developed, mm. um, because you know he just rides Taika Waititi just rides roughshod over everything that he he thinks was underserved, and so he just <laughs> yeah. casually kills them off, just like <laughs> no big deal, no big send off, um, and I think that's, you know, it's a sad point that they just weren't used well ever, really. I mean, a bit in the first film when they show up, you get a sense of now his friends are with him. Now we can get stuff done. Now we've got to hope. Um, but certainly in, in the dark world, they didn't impact the story at all. Um, and in Ragnarok, they didn't get the chance to. So it's kind of a shame. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen more from them. But I, I don't feel like... I think it's maybe a sign of Thor growing up, maybe, you know, these were the, his mm. drinking buddies essentially. And so as he, <laughs> as he becomes slightly more mature, obviously he would spend less time with them, but it's, uh, it's kind of a shame that they didn't maybe get the chance to grow up with him. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of what I had too. I kind of had the, like, like if he's the frat guy, then they're like his bros. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, and so I, I do feel like that I didn't think about the fact, the way that Taika killed them off. I didn't even think about that, but that's, that seems like a really good move. Mm. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like because they didn't influence him before. And since, because the problem is when, when you're, when you are, uh, going to act like a frat guy, yeah. your bros are usually not a good influence on you. And I'm not saying that's true of all fraternities. Mm -hmm. and that's not, my point is not even to put like throw fraternities under the bus. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you are a male who's being influenced by other males who want to see you as the most powerful alpha male, that's usually a bad situation. <laughs> um, so I think that, that by them killing, by him killing them off, it's almost kind of like what we talked about in the Iron Man character journey with them with them removing the shards from his chest, it's kind of like, look, this is not going to be an influence anymore because this character needs to be far beyond this as yeah. this part of their arc. So I kind of like the fact that they were removed because just, just otherwise they're just bros. I don't know. Yeah, I think the one thing that they do show that Thor has <laughs> is loyalty. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think we get to, we do get to see that in the Dark World because they're willing to commit treason against Odin to back Thor on what he believes in. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. So that's a sign of his leadership as well. That that's a sign that he can inspire people to follow him, which yeah. which we don't really get otherwise because he's not he doesn't particularly put himself forward as leader of the Avengers. Right. So so yeah, that's a very good point. But arguably, the most important character in his journey is Loki. Mm. 
So we have to talk about Loki. So Helen, what do you think about Loki's impact and then the impact of losing him? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they don't always know what to do with Loki. And I think the level of badness <laughs> is a little inconsistent and, and his level of, of attachment to his brother and vice versa is a little inconsistent. So um, I think there is love there on both sides. I think it is um, twisted on Loki's side by uh, envy and twisted on Thor's side by complacency. And um, and I think they come to understand each other better through this series of <laughs> endless betrayals, um, which is, I guess, good. But I think it's... Um, yeah, I mean, they are sometimes bonded and you do sometimes see the bond, you know, when when Odin dies, you see that there is a connection between them. And in that scene with Thanos, you see that, you know, Loki's idea that he's totally fine with his brother dying and that is not a problem and he is absolutely cool with that um, is a lie and a pose. So mm -hmm. you do realize that there is affection there, which I think is really important. And his last words are pretty much, you know, the sort of we will walk in the sun again, brother. Um which is which is one of the reasons why I think they've left the door open a little bit to Loki surviving Thanos in some way. Because I yeah. feel like that's the kind of line that people people say before they pull off a clever trick and survive the unsurvivable situation. Um, we know he can do extremely lifelike doubles of himself. So it's possible, I'm not saying probable, but possible that Loki is still alive out there somewhere. Um, but having said that, his apparently final loss this time... Um, is clearly is clearly a serious serious blow as we see in that in that conversation with Rocket. So yeah, yeah there is love, there is love there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the the best the uh, my best way of looking at Loki comparative to Thor is sort of if you were to take the the family member who we're called to love even though they're incredibly challenging to love, <laughs> right? Um, or even friend, take friend too, mm -hmm. right? Like family member, friend. Like like Loki is almost impossible to love because he he legitimately does not look out for the other person's needs except in extreme circumstances. Um, he only starts to look at other people's needs when like their life is on the line. Mm -hmm. But if not, it's like, oh, you got to put Thor in jail for a few hundred years. Like, well, he's old. That's fine. That's just the drop in the bucket. Um, so I think that. Uh, I think what I really appreciate about their bond is that there is a bond because there doesn't, mm. there almost feels like there should not be a bond and yet there is. And so I think that there's something about that bond where they see in one another, some of the same hurt that's come from before. And based on that, there's a reasons to stay together, even though they might hurt each other along the mm. way. And I think I like that aspect of their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Loki is almost the test mm. for everything that Thor learns from all of these other characters. Oh. Ah. Because we see him get to live out this stuff with Loki because he doesn't just kill him. Yeah. He doesn't let him get the better of him. Right. He doesn't let him go out and hurt anybody else. And he really does genuinely seek to redeem him in mm. a way. Yeah. And to have a relationship with him, but not in a naive way. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like everything that he's learned from Odin and Frigga and Heimdall and everybody else gets punched out right onto Loki. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah know? totally. Which I find super interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, I got a couple more questions for us, and this first one is, it's one of those moments where I read into a moment maybe a little bit too much, but I think it's fun to talk about anyway. <laughs> like when we talked about the spiritual implications of Han Solo saying, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> this is one of those what moments. What does that mean? Yeah. 
But Thor says to Rocket, um, he says, you know, I'm 1,500 years old. I've killed twice as many enemies as that, and every one of them would have rather killed me than not succeeded. I'm only alive because fate wants me alive. Thanos is just the latest in a long line of bastards, and he'll be the last, to, the latest to feel my vengeance. Fate wills it so. Mm. So two things stand out to me here. One, what does it say? What does such an acquiescence to fate say about somebody who refers to himself as a god? And then second, why do you think he uses the term vengeance mm. as opposed mm. to using another term? So, yeah. Helen, what do you think there? Um. Does he call himself a god a lot? I'm trying to remember. I mean, Loki throws it at Thanos. I don't remember Thor using it that much. Well, part of my answer to the question is Thor, I don't think he really buys into himself mm. being a god. I think he only refers to himself that way when he's trying to intimidate somebody. Yeah, I think that's... Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I think the... Um, I think the acquiescence to fate thing is is a realization that maybe has come over the course of these films that he does not control everything around him as with as with Tony that there are limits to this power that he has had to learn there are limits to what he can do on his own that he's had to learn so I feel like that might be part of the the kind of the you know the fatalism uh, that he shows sure. here um, in terms of vengeance I think that just goes to the kind of old school nature of of his Asgard. You know, it, it's not, I think he's wise enough not to simply call it justice because it isn't always, you know, it isn't always about setting things to right. It sometimes is about this guy's attacked me, so I'm going to end him, uh, which is vengeance and not justice. So uh, it's a, it's more of a warrior's term, I guess, than a ruler's term. Um, and he's, I guess, in warrior mode at this point because he doesn't have... Even assuming half his people survived on the half of the ship that was broken off at the beginning of the film, even assuming that half of Asgard is out there, uh, he is not currently acting as king. He is currently acting as warrior. So, mm. um, so yeah, it seems appropriate to me. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, great. yeah, it's really good. Um, in regards to the fate part of it, yeah, I, I agree. Like, there's. It feels like to me that he's to the point where he realizes what limitations godhood in his context has. And so he's basically acknowledging that he's not the, while super powerful, he's not the most powerful being in the universe, right? Yeah. Um, and we talked about this in Infinity War because we talked about entities like the astral deities that appear primarily in the comics and also Cap's perspective on God. Like It's almost like Thor acknowledging that like, I don't know what it is, and it may or may not be a spiritual, quote-unquote, spiritual thing, mm. but there's a thing called fate that's a lot bigger than me. Um, and I think that that's kind of an interesting take from him on it. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the term vengeance, I think... It, so I, I actually think... Um, it's interesting because, Helen, I think your comments are right on. The only thing that I, that I actually saw slightly differently... And this would be really interesting to see what is true because I'm not I'm not sure which one's right. But you almost talked about like Thor is aware of using the term in that way and knows that he's using the term appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if Thor fully understands his impact on the universe, which then causes me to think: Is everything he does he think that everything he does is quote right or righteous in other words our fourth thor is the term justice 
and vengeance, should they be the same terms? And does he see them as different terms or does he see them as the same terms? Because it could be an excuse to justify his actions. Is like, oh, I'm always right. So when I take vengeance, it's justice. Mm. Mm. Um, it, I think I, it depends on the maturity of Thor as he makes that comment in terms of saying, does he, does he equate the two things or is he being just more realistic as Helen's saying, right? Mm. Like, is he being realistic and saying, yeah, it's vengeance and sometimes you just got to have vengeance or is he saying vengeance thinking that he's also just su like subtly justifying himself because it was also justice in his mind, <laughs> which is obviously like I'm playing armchair psychologist here. I have no <laughs> idea what's actually going through his mind. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting to kind of break that down a little bit, a little bit more. Um, I also thought, uh, I have in my notes here that I also thought it was cause I, well, before I finish that thought, let me finish that thought real quick. I do think that, that vengeance is not a term that heroes should use, right? Like heroes should not use the term vengeance. So mm. if he is reflecting on it and saying like, actually it was vengeance, mm. but it wasn't necessarily right. I'd go, Oh, that's, that's, that's actually a really brilliant statement. And I'm really glad uh, that he makes it. I don't know. I think I'm not quite that hard line because first of all, He's from a very much older, you know, um, he uses an older way of speech in which the yes. word vengeance is, would be more uh, common usage. So I wouldn't necessarily rule out for him in the same way. And then I would just say that I don't think vengeance is always wrong. I think it is possible that vengeance can be, I don't think it's ideal, but in the case of someone like Thanos, I don't think vengeance is entirely unwarranted within the moral frame of these stories if that makes sense you know i think okay yes, yes in a re in a real world scenario if there's a thanos then we should actually we should absolutely have the nuremberg war trials mark ii and we should absolutely try him and dissect him and you know sort of metaphorically and and explain to the world why he was wrong um but in a superhero movie i'm totally okay with vengeance in a way that i'm not okay in real life <laughs> Well, and, and actually, I, <laughs> and, and to agree with you on that point, I think that sometimes vengeance and justice are the same thing. Yeah, like, they're, yeah. like they can be used as a synonym. Um, it would just be interesting to see if he, if how his perspective on the use of the term mm. would kind of calcify in his own mind. So, uh, it's it's I don't think <laughs> I don't think we have any way of knowing, but it uh, is certainly a good question to bring up for sure. Yeah, that's why I ask questions like this because I get to sit back and listen to you guys talk about it. <laughs> Damn you! Yeah, it's it's like a live podcast. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, all I have left is to look forward mm. and to mm. once again words. talk about yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is to yeah, let's talk about what might happen to Thor in Endgame and perhaps post Endgame. What do you think, Helen? Yeah, this is so. This is another one because you know there's been a lot of speculation that all the original Avengers would die in this movie. That that this would be a, an ending for everybody. Um, there, oh man, that'd be really harsh. It'd be it? so super harsh. <laughs> um, and and I think a lot of people are, are still saying that Thor could be one of the ones that goes. You know, he's a huge power. He's a he's a really beloved character. It would be a quick way to upset every single member of the audience, which we know they plan to do. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like that's not going to happen. And that, that feeling has been um, sort of cementing for me since Ragnarok. And not just because Ragnarok was a, was a box office success, but also because I felt like Ragnarok was a film that really kind of figured out after a little bit of 
trial and error in the earlier films what this guy's strengths are as an actor and as a character and it felt like an, a sort of artistic success in that in that respect and it felt like they were just getting hitting their stride and that there's so much to be said about so many of the supporting characters in that movie and so much of the world that we saw that why would you give up on this guy now so i, I feel a little bit of hope but absolutely no certainty that he might get through <laughs> Endgame in one piece, mm. more or less. I mean, he's already in a couple of pieces, given the eye thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I guess the question is, has Hemsworth started just eating brownies and <laughs> drinking milkshakes? Uh, no, I, yeah, I, um, I, we've talked about this. I think this is like what the third time we've talked about this at this point, like about who's who's possibly yeah. going to go or not, and. Mm. I I see it from a slightly different perspective. And I actually, every time someone tells me about their perspective, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that is a lot of validity to that. I think, Helen, your perspective about like what Ragnarok did for that character, Ragnarok kind of reinvented that character mm. um, in a lot of ways. And I think that that's a powerful way for them to move forward. I personally think, as I look at it from a storytelling standpoint in regards to character arcs, and granted, when when I say that, I realize that they could reboot the entire thing after after Endgame, and all the character arcs could be invalid, even right? Like who knows? But as I look at that, I think it'd be hard to take Cap through any other kind of arcs. It'd be real hard to take Iron Man through any sort of other arcs without rebooting them. But I uh, I do think Iron Man has a couple little minor arcs that he could show up in different movies, of which we talked about in the last podcast. When it comes to Thor, I don't see any other arcs for him. It seems like they're running out of material, and I think they've rehashed the same material so many times that I'm not sure it would play again. So I think I think he's going to die. But <laughs> having said that, um, I just don't know. I mean, it, every time we talk about it, I feel more unsure of what I thought before. So it's like, what are you going to say? Yeah. Every time we talk about the future, you know you're not a fortune teller. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I don't think he's going to die. Okay. Um, and largely because <clears throat> um, Cap and Tony, mm-hmm. if they die, they have a legacy set up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cap has Bucky and Sam. Tony has Spider-Man. Right. Thor has nobody. Jane Foster. <laughs> <laughs> she dumped him. She dumped him. Oh, yeah. wait, no, it was yeah. a mutual breakup, wasn't it? it a was mutual dumping. Mutual yeah. dumping, that's right. <laughs> and I know that uh, we don't know for sure if uh, Valkyrie and Korg are still out there, but I don't think they're set up to necessarily carry on Thor's mm. legacy. So I feel like, and I'm not saying that this means it can't happen, but it would be really, really dark to knock him off mm. after what Asgard has already gone through and just making him king. Mm. And I think there are more arcs to tell with Thor. I would actually like to see him go through the process of learning to be the king of Asgard in this new reality. Mm. Almost sort of a Battlestar Galacta-ish kind of, Galactica-ish kind of thing, you know, where wow, yeah. he's leading a ragtag group of Asgardians through space yeah. trying to find home. Trying to find a home. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you put in the Star Wars, he's leading the resistance. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, I go. think that would be really cool to see, but I, I do have a hard time seeing them kill him off. Mm. Not that it can't happen, it can absolutely yeah, happen. Because they're so evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they they definitely are out for vengeance with the audience. It's not justice. It's not justice. It is vengeance. <laughs> yeah, brace, brace. Oh my yeah. goodness! It's I kind of they wait, are in control of our fate. They are. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think that wraps up Thor. I think that wraps up our look at the big three Avengers. So, Helen, yeah. five episodes. Thank you for wow. spending five episodes with yeah. us. A pleasure They're again. Awesome. Thank you. So look forward to the future. And for now, we are done with Thor. Yeah. And frightened as hell about what's going to happen <laughs> in Endgame. So, so scared of Endgame, but fingers crossed for the best. We asked our patrons about the character journeys in the MCU and what were the most compelling to them. We got a response from our patron, Wade Johnson, who said, the MCU character journey I find the most compelling is that of Star-Lord. The dude goes from losing his mother and being abducted by aliens to being a charismatic and self-sacrificing leader of a ragtag gang of space reprobates who end up saving the galaxy. Then he finds his long-lost biological father only to find out that he's super evil and then has to kill him. He loses so much and sacrifices so much and yet still has a sense of humor and a hope for the future. He still invests in and has hope for close relationships in spite of so many of his relationships ending in tragedy. From an orphaned, abducted Earth kid to half-god, caring leader, loyal friend, and space pilot badass, the journey of Star-Lord is fantastic. Totally agree with that, Wade. That's a fantastic choice. Also, a little bit more detail uh, that Joshua Beckham sent me related to his choice of Steve Rogers. He said, I think for me, Steve is the most relatable. He is someone who struggled with reaching his goals and a purpose in life, a bit of an underdog in the beginning, had self-doubts, kind of struggled with success in relationships, but even through it all, he was a gentleman, wanted to do right, and maintained his convictions. So thank you to Wade and Joshua for submitting those comments. That's it for today's show. Special thanks again to Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast for joining us. As Daryl mentioned at the top of the show, if you missed last week's episode, our nerd fight to determine the best Spider-Man with uh, Michael Gordon from the ESO Podcast. He did an awesome job as moderator. Be sure to check it out on our podcast feed or on our blog at thestorygeeks.com. And don't miss next week's show. It's another nerd fight. This time our fighters will be arguing to determine the best MCU film. That'll be with Mike from the Mighty Marvel Geeks podcast and Megan Salinas, longtime friend of the show from the Silver Screams YouTube channel. Make it easy on yourself by subscribing to the Story Geeks podcast on your preferred podcast provider. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. We're going to switch over to our aftercast, so I hope you'll join us for that as well. We'll be talking about more MCU characters and their character journeys throughout this 10-year period of films. Get more information on our aftercast and all of our other content over at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. First up, our brand new Patreon supporter, Nick Prokop. Thanks for choosing to support us, Nick. We really appreciate you. And of course, Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Alexandria, Leonis, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Monty Thigpen, Ray DeLeon, Samuel Peloquin, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our Aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards, or just to support the show, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.